Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Nice. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the event horizon where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. And I am your other host, Susan Fox. And with us is the creator of the ever-popular webcomic... Boston Metaphysical Society, Miss Madeline Holly Rosing. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, you're welcome. We're always glad to have you. This is your third visit back. This is episode 190. Wow. We, we've done that, that many happened. of them. Yeah. That's impressive. Uh, it, well, it's it'd be more impressive if we actually managed to do this every week. We've we've <laughs> missed a few over the last six months. Oh well, it's the Martian death flu. <coughs> yeah, that's, oh that's, yeah, that's it's nasty stuff. So you're not alone. No, not not at all. My mom came in from Wisconsin and she had it, and she was patient zero. So naturally, <laughs> we all got it, and then everybody we knew got it. So. Yeah, it was it was just yikes. Yeah, some of us are feeling better now. I hope <laughs> he's mostly just got some. Yeah, I've some still got. Phlegm I've still got this, he's uh, speaking Flemish. Cough. I've got no no lung capacity at all. Yeah. So. Yeah, this is mucus talk on <laughs> on Krypton Radio. <laughs> well, I'm sure a lot of people will be able to relate. So. I suppose I, we may have to cut some of this. <laughs> That's what post is for. That's right. Yeah, we'll fix it's the the company motto. We'll fix it in post. But anyway, how are you, Susan? Oh, I'm, I'm much better, thank you. I'm, I'm working on my um, Hollywood News calendar, which is the daybook listing of events to cover in L.A. and New York, and it's awards month or awards season. Yes, it is. Is, is that like wabbit season? Does that mean I get to hunt them? <laughs> I no, it doesn't. But, that would be interesting. But it's still a lot of work. I've got the Grammys. I've got the Oscars. I've got everything going on. Blah. Yeah, well, I actually applied at Dragon Con this year. Oh well. And uh, hopefully they'll accept me. <clears throat> I have a place to stay there. Well, that's uh, good. Which makes it doable. Dragon, because um, it's an expensive trip. It's. I understand Dragon Con is one of those conventions where it's really like like four conventions that all happen to take place in the same space at the same time. Yeah, it's they like do a, kind of have those separate tracks. So if you mm-hmm. want to just do Star Trek the whole time, you can sit in the Star Trek track. If you, you know, if you're this fan or that fan, you just stay in that track and you can have everything you want. 
Yeah, no, but it, it sounds interesting. I've been talking to a, a friend of mine about doing it for a while, and then I got an offer to stay at a friend's house, and I went like, well, if I can get in as a guest, then I can afford to go. No, yeah. it's, it's mm-hmm. a good convention. It's, so, you know, Fanish Good Fellowship plus Southern Hospitality is a very powerful combination, and I always had a good time at Dragon Con. Well, and plus you're Madeline freaking Holly Rosing. <laughs> so how are they going to how are they going to say no to the creator of the Boston Metaphysical Society? So let's talk oh, you, about let's talk about there you see how I did that? That was a nice you did, segue there. Segue. I see Thank what you for you did the segue. <laughs> let's talk about the new book. Well, for your listeners who are not familiar with the original 6 issue series, uh, it's about an ex-Pinkerton detective, a spirit photographer, and a genius scientist who battles supernatural forces in late 1800s Boston. Though the, the six-issue series is a complete story arc, it is open-ended enough so we can continue on, which I've done. The plan is that anything in the future of the comic will be like 32, 34-page one-shots just mm-hmm. featuring two of the characters, two of the main characters, and, you know, have it a standalone complete story, which is what I've done with the book that's coming out. Um, We'll be kickstarting, launching on January 31st. It is called The Scourge of the Mechanical Men, and it is a Granville Woods and Nikola Tesla story. Oh, cool. There's a combination of brains. Yeah, I really wanted to get those two guys in the same room together because they did not get along well in in the original series. But now we get to take a look at Liberty Row, which is where Granville's family live. It's the it's the Negro neighborhood in this, you know, 1895 alternate history Boston. And basically, Granville and Tesla are in a, are in a race for time to save Boston from a mysterious disease that turns human beings into machines. Wow. So we've got a kind of, you know, steampunk, mad science, all sorts of fun stuff with these two guys who obviously, but for those of you who don't know out in the audience, Granville Woods was a real person. He kind of got lost in history, unfortunately. His, in real life, he's from Ohio and specialized in railroad switching technology but since I'm the writer, I brought him to Boston, mm-hmm. <laughs> and because I can do that, <laughs> and it's, it's that omniscient presence, yeah, you know, and the guiding and hand of destiny created a, a family for him. You meet his his sister, his niece, uh, his brother-in-law, and we have two villains who are just tons of fun. My new artist, Gwen Tavares, and we can talk about her in a little bit, basically said those are the best villains she's ever drawn. Um, <laughs> oh, that's that is that's a good sign. She just said they were so much fun for her. They're a twin brother and sister who tend to finish each other's sentences. We don't know anything about that. Not no, at not at all. Anyway, they're just lovingly creepy which you know they're just the kind of villains you love to hate so i had a lot of fun with them and 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 so did she but gwen anyway emily hugh uh the original artist on the six issue series has moved up in the world and is now doing storyboards for marvel ah 
Yeah, so she has no time for me. <laughs> That's too bad. But hooray for her. And she was Absolutely. she was a marvelous talent. And it it's was very so spooky stuff and it just very moving. I could see the motion in it. Yeah, Emily, you know, wonderfully talented young lady. I can probably she might have time for her if I have any short stories or something like that. But I I don't think she'll probably ever have time to take on a you know a thirty four page book. Mm, um, I suppose not. In the future. Now is she doing TV, Marvel Television, or Marvel Comics? Comics. Yes, yeah. I. That's think not a seasonal. She's is doing Spider Man. Hmm. Yeah, it never occurred to me that there might be a storyboard artist for a comic book. I just I yeah. don't I don't know enough about the comics industry to know the kinds of job roles there are and storyboard artists for a comic book just uh, uh, for some reason I never thought that that would be a job. Well, apparently it speeds up the process. No, it makes a lot of they sense. They hand to it me, off actually. to what you would call I don't know the name artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean and people are certainly welcome to correct me because I. I mean, obviously, I don't work for DC or Marvel, and I've, I have not worked for them. Um, and they're huge, and they have massive staffs who do all sorts of amazing, wonderful stuff. But I think that's how it works. And you hear it's, about I- independent comic book creators, you know, like yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to all. you have to assemble a team, and it's got to be very tight and a very small team, and you don't have room for specialization like a storyboard artist. Like no, it- no, there's, there's no budget for that. And in fact, the original six issues of Boston metaphysical were never inked because I couldn't afford it. Wow. I've got it right colorist, here. The yeah, colorist probably did it is, all. Huh? I'm sorry. What season? I say the colorist did it all. The colorist made it look like it was inked. That's how amazing Gloria was. That's pretty amazing. I I, I wouldn't I would have never picked have picked up on that. Yeah. Cuz we just we simply did yes. not have the budget for it. And you can see it in some pages and some panels and and things like that because we actually at one convention a young man, I guess he he bought the first few issues and he read them and he came back the next day. I think it was at our first San Diego Comic-Con. And he just said, God, this would be so awesome if it was inked. And we looked at him and he said, we know. <laughs> we agree with you. We completely agree with you. But uh, as Gloria's skills increased over the years as she worked on the comic, I mean, you can't – the later issues, you can't tell. You can't. It's, um, because of the amazing wow. job she did. But – uh, when I first put together the team and the budget, you guys probably know Christina Strain. I think um, so. You heard? Have you heard the name? Yes. I, yeah, I've heard heard the name. Don't think I've met yeah. her. Yeah, she's actually a friend of mine. I met her in my first uh, sequential art class at UCLA. That's before you know, long before she started doing Fox Sister and uh, a ton of other stuff. She's on staff on the Magicians right now. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, she's wonderfully talented. It's a small Uh, world. Yeah, but she was the one, I consider her one of my mentors, and we sat down and I bought her quite a number of lunches. (laughs) 
And she educated me on budgeting and the profession of the comic book industry. Mm -hmm. And she told me, she goes, if there's one thing you need to cut out to help you on the budget, you can cut out the inking. And so that's what we did. That's just astonishing. It makes sense, though. I mean, real life doesn't have outlines. Yeah. And but like I said, uh, you know, Gloria did such a magnificent job that in, in the later issues, you, you can't tell. So there you go. <laughs> that's a pro wow. tip that if, if if you really can't afford to ink, make sure you get a good colorist. Now, the first time you tried to publish this, when you first did your first Kickstarter, it didn't go all that well, did it? Oh no! We yeah we we did the crash and burn. <laughs> oh yeah, I I speaking as someone who has done kickstarters and crashed himself, and burned and crashed and burned. Uh, yeah, I can certainly relate to that. Do not do not attempt a, a, a kickstarter going into Christmas. <laughs> do not yes. attempt a kickstarter when there's been a uh, a major weather event and and everybody's charity dollars are going elsewhere. Of course, when is it not? An, uh, an unusual weather event these days. And if yeah. it looks like your Kickstarter is not going to succeed and it's not even going to get close, call it off. Don't let it run to completion. Well, yes and no. Um, I, I would. There's a caveat to that, which I would just say it depends. I would l encourage people to let it run until people start pulling their pledges. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because even though you fail, you will be able to retain the ability to contact the backers through Kickstarter. And it's essentially a database. I see. So if you cancel so, it, you can't get access to that anymore. Well, no, you can. You, you can, can cancel it. What oh. I'm saying is that if you cancel it too early, even though, say, people still may try to pledge even towards the end just to show their goodwill, when you either cancel or time runs out, you will be able to contact them. If you cancel too early, you eliminate the possibility of other people essentially signing up and backing you, and you won't be able to get in contact with them if your campaign is not running. Oh, I see. So it's all about the connection with your your yeah, potential market. Yeah, it's data mining in marketing terms. Yeah, it's just it's just data mining. And so with the first one, we went to about 24, I forget. I think maybe about 12 hours, 24 hours mm -hmm. and before time ran out and I saw some people starting to pull their pledges. So then I canceled it. So it basically froze all those people into my database. Mm -hmm. So I could contact them through Kickstarter. If you don't make your goal, uh, you don't get any of their personal information. You don't get right. their personal email addresses, but you can contact them through Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And that was really important in building my initial email list which I built on since then, and have had four successful Kickstarters since the first one. Kickstarter is such a strange, difficult beast, especially for the neophyte. Um, but we happen to know uh, that there is a very good book <laughs> on how to run a Kickstarter. <laughs> I see and what you did there. Yeah. And and it's actually in its and second it's by edition. Madeline Holly Rosing. Yes, <laughs> imagine that. 
Yeah, a, a couple years after uh, the first one failed, and then we had some. Um, we had two successful, two or three successful ones underneath the, on my belt. Yeah, I, I wrote the book Kickstarter for the Independent Creator, and it addresses the the needs. You know, people who are essentially on their own. It's just if you're looking, it focuses on people who are looking for a crowdfunding goal of say ten thousand dollars or less. And if it's just you and maybe a partner, the strategies are still the same, even if you're looking for a larger amount of money. It's just the organizational structure is a little different. Uh, just because when you start looking at wanting over, you know, 15,000 plus dollars, you need to really have a team. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone on that team needs to, you know, have a job <laughs> and do it. Because trying to manage it gets a, a little out of control. Because you can't be the face of the campaign and run all the nuts and bolts at the same time. It, yeah, not when you're looking for, for larger amounts of money. It's it, it's just too difficult. I imagine pe- some people have done it. I mean, I know people who have, uh, like Ray Chow from Skies of Fire, I mean, they almost always look for a funding, they always look for a funding goal of under $10,000 and they end up making 20 or more. But their original funding goal is anywhere from four to you know seven thousand dollars, um, which they easily make. But and that's just because they're awesome and he's incredibly well organized. Kudos to that team. I know that Phil and Kaya Folio, uh, of Folio Studio, and yes, they girl they have genius. been yes, girl genius. They have been very very successful. And what they do is they just at this point they just say. Okay, we're going to have a Kickstarter. Here's the minimum run, and 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 they just let it go because they know it's going to go platinum in two days, and they don't worry about it. Well, they've got a fan base. <laughs> yeah, because oh. they've got this enormous, massive fan base. Huge, huge. <clears throat> yeah, it's like the size of a, a small to middling sized urban city. <laughs> well, because his, it helps that he's been in the the public eye of of at least in uh, the science fiction world since the 70s so we're talking what 40 years yeah 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 well they've been doing the comic a long time it's won an eisner i mean it's absolutely wonderful they're lovely people they won they do three hugos and two, retired two hugos for, or three hugos? No, well two and then they kind two of withdrew from withdrew. from uh competition because they wanted somebody else to win yeah they're yeah they're, <laughs> they they're tremendous but I mean, my book is not geared towards, you know, girl genius. <laughs> right. It's its uh, own no, thing. It, the, yeah. My, my book is geared towards the the creator who just needs, you know, $3,200 to go print their book, you know. And that um, that's the category an awful lot of creatives fall into. I yes. help. I need the studio fees because I need to record in a real studio. Help. I need the publishing fees because... Uh, I can't do this out of my pocket and then sell it afterwards. There's, you know, things like that. Uh, and, and that's why I think your, your book is so helpful to so many people because I think most of us who are working on creative projects are pretty much right there in that zone. Yeah. And, and also I, I did my research before I wrote it and there are a lot of really good crowdfunding books out there, but, they're like 300 pages long. I mean, there are these massive tomes that you can't possibly digest that information. 
So I decided to essentially put together what I call a field guide. Mm -hmm. And with real life stories and my own failings and successes and other people's failings and successes. And And there's even an there's even an appendix with forms in the back to help you get organized. Yeah, yeah, if you want to use them. I mean, everyone organizes themselves differently, and that's fine. But these are just suggestions of how to set up your spreadsheets on Excel mm-hmm. or, or whatever you use. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you don't have lots. to use the exact forms. You can modify them to suit your needs. Absolutely. But it gives you it gives you a starting place. Yeah, absolutely. I and, mean, I use a combination of Excel spreadsheets and legal pads. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just the way I do things. And other people are going to have everything on the computer or everything in a journal or, and that's fine as long as they're organizing the same kind of information that that they need to organize. Now the book is available on Amazon, both as a paperback and for Kindle. Correct. And what's the name of the book again? I'm sorry. Uh, Kickstarter for the independent creator. Kickstarter for the Independent Creator. Okay, we'll I put a link my, on yeah, that. I have my copy on Kindle, and I'm going to go back and reread it because a lot of those principles, a lot of the principles that you set forth in terms of how to deal with the public, uh, how to set up your social media, how to time your news releases, and how not to do things <laughs> are <clears throat> relevant to people who want to run Patreon campaigns as well, which is what we do. Yeah, so yeah it's, it's the there's same. There's a lot in there. Yeah, it's the same methodology you can apply to Patreon. Even you know, Patreon is a little bit a different animal, but uh, yeah, many of the same strategies will exist. But with Patreon, which I actually talk about more in the in the second edition, do need to bring your fan base with you mm-hmm. because right now, and this may change in the future, and I anticipate that it will. There is no community really sitting on Patreon looking. For people to support, unlike Kickstarter, which has a huge community that I call them weekend warriors, where literally they go on the weekends and they just start backing stuff like crazy because that's what they do for fun. <coughs> we and- like people who like that kind of fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and there's. That's one of the things that has bothered me about Patreon the entire time. It's I spoke to you, I think, a couple of years ago before we even started our Patreon campaign, and you said that Patreon is where you go where you when you already have your fan base. Yeah. Kickstarter is where you go to build one. And I, uh, I would also have a caveat that when you launch a Kickstarter, you should at least have a basic fan base. It'll it'll make life a lot easier. But I've seen uh, so many you, Kickstarter campaigns with like three pledges. It's so sad. Yeah, you you do need to have a fan base before you start, even on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. But if you have enough to get you going, then the community of Kickstarter, not necessarily independent comic creator community or whatever community you're a part of. We'll back you, but the the Kickstarter community you'll you'll be more visible to them. It, it's a great public it's great publicity. Kickstarter is great publicity for your anything. Are you aware of the new service that Kickstarter is starting up? Kickstarter Drip. Um, I did read one article about it and then promptly forgot about it. 
Um, I think they are in a beta testing right now, and yeah, it's invite sort of only. Clo- yeah, closed beta, invite only. So it's, yeah. you, you have to be... Iron Circus is part of that. Uh-huh. And uh, it- the publishing company, Iron Circus, because they do amazingly well on Kickstarter. And then, of course, you've got some people in the music industry and, mm-hmm. and things like that that are part of it. But, I'm I'm interested to see what happens when that thing finally goes into uh, into full release. I think once they do that, it, they're going to eat Patreon's lunch. I think you are correct. Um, so and the it writings, all comes the writings back on the wall that they have this community <clears throat> that Patreon does not. And I think what Patreon is done, I think it's a great idea. But yeah, they just haven't gotten the community who sit there and wait for stuff that pops up that they may want to support unlike what kickstarter does and they're not likely to get it either i mean especially not after that last thing that they just tried to do they just tried to uh oh they changed the fee structure correct yeah they tried to change the fee structure and what they they changed it back and then they changed it back after the outcry well they were double dipping weren't they charging the creators and the the donors. <laughs> well, that's hardly fair. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they basically they got called on their stuff. <laughs> I I wanted to use a word I can't say on the air, but they got called on it. And yeah, and oh, I oh my, it, it, people are not going to forget this when no. it comes time to decide between Patreon and Kickstarter Drip when Kickstarter Drip opens. I just wish Kickstarter Drip had picked a better name. Yeah, I don't really understand that. Yeah, I well, don't. it's a constant drip of of money or something or water to nourish your your little seed. <laughs> I don't know. I I mean, I understand I the rationale behind it, but a better word. <clears throat> yeah, I've got a post nasal drip at the moment, and that's not fun. Or like maybe Kickstarter bloom. This Ooh. like if you get your face stuck in the mailbox, you have a post and yeah. no. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I, I think their marketing department failed on that part. Yeah, I but, think they screwed up. You're right. Yeah, I actually think <laughs> actually what I just said I think would work. Kickstarter Bloom because Bloom has a positive imagery with it, and it's like you're helping someone bloom. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's should, it changes the whole social me. dynamic. They should. <laughs> so the new book. That yes. you are kickstarting, and the Kickstarter actually, your Kickstarter for the new one starts in February. Actually, January thirty first. January thirty first. So and it's months, coming up real months, fast. Through February, February so, Eve. So like two weeks from now. Correct. And what are we kickstarting? What's what are what What's is it going to be? What am I doing? Yeah. I am kickstarting the uh, printing of the book, which is a 34-page story, but it will be in a 44-page perfect-bound book. Wow. So, which means we'll have uh, extras. I'm hoping to get an alternate history map of Boston done. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, we'll see if that works out. The artist has, I think, had his his life blew up, so we'll see if he gets it done or not. I may have to find somebody else, but 
We shall see. I'm hoping he can get it done. There will also, Gwen did this beautiful character sketch of Granville and Tesla together. And that will not only be uh, one of the stretch goals, a print of that, but I'll probably include that in the book along with um, biographies of the supporting characters and the villains, uh, whose names are uh, Emily and Travis Morgan. Morgan, as in Morgan Le Fay. <laughs> yeah, but there's, there are connotations in there. Like Captain Morgan the pirate? Captain Morgan. Captain Morgan, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just thinking, now, now I, I'm thinking of, of the two villains walking around with their knees in the air. No, no. Uh, no. She's, Emily <laughs> is the um, uh, scientific genius in the family, mm-hmm. and her brother handles the business side uh, of what their company is called Morgan Medicinals. Mm. And she creates a virus that turns uh, uh, people into machines. It sounds like the dawn of the Cybermen. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it does. It's. It sounds absolutely delicious, and if it's anything like the uh, the books that we've already seen from you, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a delight. I can see yeah. Granville and Tesla as a as having a lot in common. They're the outsiders in society, and and each of them is the smartest guy in the room until they're in the same room. Until they're in the same and room, yeah. And and hilarity ensues, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that great catchphrase. And hilarity ensues. Yeah. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with them. Hopefully in the future I can do more. I don't want to give away any too many spoilers for you guys. All right. But, yeah. No, it's like the, the burgeoning, you know, pharmaceutical industry and... <clears throat> mm-hmm. Has and have not. No, I'm just thinking about Granville and Tesla, and it's th- I'm just thinking, oh God, this could be like Oscar and Felix, you know, the odd <laughs> couple. Well, but the, it's, it's kind of Felix and Felix, and they'd kill each other. <laughs> That's true. Well, and yeah. uh, needless to say, Granville's not really happy to have Tesla around until he needs to have Tesla around. Yeah, there's always that moment, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. But Gwen, um, our new artist, as usual, I found her through a mutual friend. Mm-hmm. That's how I find all all my team members. She also did the Ether Brigade, Amelia Sky, but she has a more naturalistic feel to her art, and she's doing the coloring as well. So the colors are a little different, um, a little more muted in some cases, but I think you guys are going to love it. More muted? <laughs> that's like going to be that's going to be black and white. I mean, the, well, it was the I would say I'd say some of it was muted. I, maybe that's the wrong word. It's just it's just different. Okay. Well, I'm and um, well, when you have see it. some posts tomorrow, and yeah, because this stuff was all you know. Mostly kind of the sepia tone thing until unless something was exploding. <laughs> yeah. No, she's she's done a beautiful job and and has been a joy to uh, to work with. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing this. And uh, and I guess we'll see bits of it on the Kickstarter page on uh, January 31st. Yes. And um, I know, Susan, you did uh, back the last Kickstarter. So look for that update. I'll be there with bells on. <laughs> Maybe literally. And probably and, uh, your checkbook open as well. Stop. 
<laughs> I know. Because it's that good. Yeah, but I like getting toys and goodies. Well, yeah. We all oh, have, a, have a we all have pin. a pin. That's the great I thing about have a new pin. Oh, 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 cool. oh I need a pin. I need the pin. I got Excellent. a new pin. That just seems to be what people expect now. They, you know, there's a new pin every year. Have you thought about <laughs> doing challenge coins? I'm sorry, what? Challenge coins. Uh, that's artistic well, that's designs. Thing, um, it's it's like a pin, except you you know it's it's, it's like a, a, a memento you that you can carry around well, and put that, in your pocket or put I don't in know. Your is that more the military sci-fi crowd doing those or? Uh, I've seen it done for comic books. Have you? Okay. Yeah. Hmm. I don't. I don't. I'm not sure I've, I've ever seen one, but I'll take a look. But I do know the steampunk crowd really likes wearing the pins. Uh, yeah. Well, they like finery. Yes. What other and, um, finery could you have for for the steampunk crowd? T- uh, custom, you know, tea sets? <laughs> custom, <laughs> custom cravat pins? Oh, like stick pins. I could pins. probably actually yeah, do custom that stick if pins. I needed to. Yeah, custom stick pins. With an airship. Yeah, maybe next time. Maybe the next yeah. next uh, Kickstarter we'll do uh, stick pins. That's a good thought. Or hat pins. Hat pins are a lady's best friend. Or cravats. Or cravats. Yeah, the cravats themselves. How do you make those out of brass? (laughs) No, well, you don't, obviously, because they're made out of silk. You know, but those could be fun. Absolutely. Especially if they're done with uh, patterns or designs from the comics. Ghosts. Yes. A ghost cravat. A Tesla cravat. Oh, my God. You'd be able to sell those like hotcakes. Without Even, the comic book, I was about to say because Tesla is such a you know an icon. Yeah, I mean, as you know, we have the Tesla pin, and which we will probably have forever because people love that. Even non steampunk people want the Tesla pin. Yeah, because um, it's just it's so much fun, and Emmy did such a beautiful job on it. Mm-hmm. Tesla cravats. If you, if you don't would, do it, if you don't do it, I'll figure out how to do it. How, we'll do well, it. I would go into a Tesla cravat. You know, a, you probably uh, have to paint the his Tesla, image. The, it. His image, uh, the uh, oh, I thought the, it was the, going the, to be like direct current or something. The radiant tower, you know, the 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 big it the big radiant tower experiment that would shoot lightning bolts and yeah. no, you can't. I don't want to wear something that shoots lightning bolts. It would be <laughs> printed on. Oh. Silly. <laughs> Of course, if you take a glass rod to it and you rub it real fast, it'll shoot lightning bolts anyway. You know, because that's, <laughs> that's I'm, I'm going you make way, this, off, way off, way the off the ranch base. here. Way off base. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Get, oh, you make a, um, a amber on the stick pin, you see. Oh, yes. A soap cravat. <laughs> and you can make your own electricity right there. <laughs> but I have to ask you guys, do you, I have a question for you. Okay. Did you realize I was hired to write a four-issue miniseries for a small press publisher? Wow. Cool. No, we did not know that. Tell us about that. Anybody we know. They are small, but uh, getting bigger very quickly. It's called Evolution Publishing and SFC Comics out of San Diego. And I am writing a four-issue miniseries called Kasai the Homecoming. And that's K-A-S-A-I. And it's set in a world where there are superheroes. But some of them have chosen to become pro wrestler. And they have each unique ability. Kasai is a young woman who is half human and half fire demon. Oh, wow. Okay. uh, 
she is forced to take a, a vacation because things aren't going well at work. Uh, she is a pro wrestler, and she returns home to Kyoto only to find that to face a greater challenge than she's ever found in the ring, and that's her family. Hmm. Right. So, that would make sense because that's always anybody's biggest challenge. It's it's absolutely it's, it's anybody's biggest is, joy is as well. Fire, you know. Right. And uh, her aunt is the goddess of water. Um, so I have her returning to Japan. It's a uh, high on action. Uh, the artist is Alessandro Mercolo, and he is doing an amazing job. I mean, the art on this is just will knock your socks off. And I'll also be posting about that tomorrow through the Kickstarter update. And in fact, Kasai is launching tomorrow, January 17th. Wow. So by the time uh, everyone hears this, it's already out. Yeah, it'll it'll already be running. So you can <laughs> and go to run till mid February. Kickstarter and look up K A S A I. Correct. And you'll find it. Well, yeah. this this looks this sounds very exciting. And and yes, congratulations by the way. First superhero comet, which is kind of interesting for me because I was never much into superheroes. Mhm. So Obviously, it has my take on it, but I get to exercise my action writing muscles, which was tons of fun. I really enjoyed doing that. So, yeah, no, check it out. It's it's. I'm very excited about it. Uh, we will be. I know we'll be cross promoting between uh, Kasai and Boston Metaphysical, uh, since I'm writing both. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's been a it. It's been a last year was pretty amazing. It looks like this year I'm going to be in five anthologies. Wow, five My short stories. Um, the first one out will probably be an anthology called The Fourth Monkey. It was successful on Kickstarter last year, and it focuses on social and environmental issues. And I have a short story called The Scout, which is about bees and pesticides. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also part of the Edgar Allan Poe project. Ooh. Where where the artist is working on that now, where I did a, uh, a sci-fi adaptation of The Mask of the Red Death. Well, Ooh. why not? It could be anywhere, couldn't it? <clears throat> yeah, it's set in the future. It's, it's a science fiction. Definitely science sci-fi. So that was a lot of fun. And I was also accepted into Russell Nolte's new anthology from Wannabe Press called Cthulhu is Hard to Spell, Ain't It? <laughs> Well, no one can deny. That is awesome. I'm going to be working with Melissa Massey, and she's already turned in concept art, which is just hysterical. But anyway, the the name of that story is called The Marriage Counselor. So, yeah, it's going to be set, you know, with Lovecraftian old gods, and and that will be on Kickstarter in September. You have been Um, busy. Yeah. You have had a good year. And I also finally got numerous drafts done of the first Boston Metaphysical novel, which is going to the editor in a couple weeks. No, not and this book, he prelude. That's that was several st- short stories collected. Yes. Yeah, that that was an anthology of short stories and novellas. But this is a full on novel, around eighty thousand words, That's called nice. Boston Metaphysical Society, A Storm of Secrets. Oh, this is going to be good. I, I can tell. It's going to be good. 
and it starts five years prior to the comic, mm-hmm. and Elizabeth Wellsmore Hunter is still alive. Yes, so she would be. you get to meet her and Samuel and Jonathan Wellsmore. <clears throat> her father is a major part of it. Be coming out this year sometime. That's so, that's wow. You yeah. have well, it's been a busy year for you, and let's let's hope that twenty eighteen's another. Yeah, my husband is really on me to do a, a series of novels based on the House Wars. In, in the Boston Metaphysical Universe, uh, my version of the American Civil War is called the House Wars. And basically, the great houses of the North and South went to war with each other. And and in the trade paperback, the 10-page short story called Hunter Killer is essentially Fort Sumner. Ooh. So that was the lead-in to what will be the House Wars, and it will feature Gwen Warwick, who was the captain of the prototype airship Hunter Killer, and uh, also probably Beatrice Weldsmore, a little bit younger, who you meet in Steampunk Rat, uh, one of the novellas in Prelude. Oh, okay. So if you want to read... Actually, Steampunk Rat is by hands... Hands down is the fan favorite of all the novellas, so... I love Beatrice because she's just so freaking mean. (laughs) Well, you can't do what she does and be a cream puff, you know? But she does it to protect her family. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's some strong motivation there. I also, as a writer, the more I think about writing the series of The House Wars, uh, Gwen Warwick is is a young woman in in her late 20s, but Beatrice is older, and and to me it would be... You see so few older women in books. I mean, it'd just thinking, be nice to thinking see. Thinking on it, yes. I, I don't know why that is. Oh, it's it's our culture. Nope. Yeah, it's totally well, culture. It's nobody wants to see an old lady. Yeah, they'd rather see young, pretty women. Yeah, it's so uh, it's the dead mother. It's you know the old granny, the village crazy lady. Or the middle-aged woman that nobody knows notices, you know, because yeah. they're, they're they're not at the extremes of age. They don't. They're not the ingenue either. Uh, they're somebody's wife, or they're somebody's uh, secretary, or something. Any uh, actress some, can tell you that's that's the hard time to to try and get a job. You're not you're you're not a granny yet, <laughs> and yeah. nor nor are you twenty five. Yeah. And, yeah, so uh, no, I'm going to have hmm. lots of fun for that, and and I think I'll actually be able to have time to start mapping that series out after the Kickstarter's over. Great. Well, looking forward so to that. So hopefully, I'll have the first book done by the end of the year. You're going okay. to be very, you're going to have a very busy year. <laughs> hardly any of it in this world. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've dialed back on the number of cons I'm doing this year. I'm trying to. I did like. 15, 16 last year, and the year before that, I did over 20. That's a lot. And, and while it's great to make contact with your fans, it also means you're not getting anything else done. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah, bring your computer, say you're going to write. No, that doesn't happen. Yeah. No, you're tired. You're, just, you're exhausted. All you want to do is turn on HBO. Mm-hmm. But we're going to be hitting some of uh, uh, the bigger cons this year. Uh, as usual, we'll be at WonderCon, uh, Silicon Valley, 
we'll be at Comic-Con Revolution in Ontario. We got into Denver Comic-Con, which I'm totally psyched about. We're at a small press at San Diego Comic-Con. We're back in San Diego this year. Mm-hmm. Of course, we'll be at Gaslight Expo in the fall mm-hmm. in San Diego. And I'm waiting to hear from Phoenix, uh, San Francisco, and Rose City. And Dragon Con, of course, that we talked about earlier. I think before we were recording. Mm-hmm. Well, and so we'll, we'll see. I think Arisha might be looking for... That was last weekend. That was honey. last weekend. Sorry. Oh, I, time goes by so fast. <laughs> we were we were guests of honor at Arisha, uh, not, not this last time, but the time before that. And uh, what a lovely, what a lovely convention it was. Uh, and that was in Boston. And uh, you stand a good chance of getting snowed in and having an extra convention day. <laughs> well, there you go. Which, which, as I understand, has happened. They thought it was going to wow. happen this year. Yeah, they thought. Yeah, and it Close. was. Uh, it got cold, but it never actually precipitated. So, darn. Yeah. Yeah, we, I have a, a friend of mine who who lives out there. And um, he posted on Facebook, you know, one of the first days where, you know, the temperature dropped just enormously. Mm-hmm. And his Facebook post was, uh, I woke up this morning behind the wall. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> where you open the front door and it's just it's it's from white. the top of the door to the bottom of the door. It's just this white White edifice, which you must now you don't want chisel a tunnel. Out yeah, you don't want to tunnel through there because there's white walkers on the other side. <laughs> yeah, or a you know, or a, a a frozen zombie dragon. You know, so Ooh, never good, never good. I, the Kickstarter is when when listeners look up your Kickstarter, it's Boston Metaphysical Society. Correct. And that, we'll have um, links for that and for Kasai on the uh, um, event page for this episode. For this episode. Uh, which, that would be awesome. So that uh, if you are Thanks. listening to this, you can go to our website and look up the Event Horizon announcement article and you will find all of the links there. Always make it easy for people to give you money. <laughs> and Miss M- Holly Rosing also has a book on how to do your own Kickstarter if you are a creative and you want a good practical how-to on how to get things done. Thank you so much for joining us. It was uh, a pleasure having you with us again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for what has been episode 190 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for January 20th, 2018. Just 10 more episodes to go before we hit the remarkable milestone of our 200th episode. For reference, most podcasts do not make it this far. We do have the benefit of an entire radio station behind us helping us along. Our guest has been Madeline Holly Rosing, the creator and writer of the popular steampunk webcomic, The Boston Metaphysical Society. Your hosts this week have been Susan Fox and Gene Turnbow. This episode will air again tomorrow, Sunday, January 21st, 2018, at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, which means Miss Holly Rosing's Boston Metaphysical Kickstarter for the next print edition of the Boston Metaphysical Society begins in just... Uh, 11 days. 
I had to do the math in my head there. There will be two more air dates for this episode on the upcoming Thursday and Saturday mornings at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our own website at kryptonradio.com as podcasts. Krypton Radio is nerd-supported geek culture radio. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Event Horizon, please visit patreon.com slash kryptonradio and agree to contribute $5 a month. It will help keep your favorite radio station and shows like this one on the air and thriving. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by science fiction illustrator Mark Schirmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by science fiction grandmaster Larry Niven. This program is copyright 2018 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon on Krypton Radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>